President Duterte looking into the possible abolition or privatization of PhilHealth, which is reeling from a corruption scandal. The World Health Organization admits there won't be enough COVID-19 vaccines to allow all nations to go back to normal by next year. Big business groups here in the Philippines back the so-called Seven Commandments for opening up the public transport sector. Later, we'll get the opinion of Congressman Stella Kimbo on the debate on whether it's time to ease physical distancing in public vehicles. And Hurricane Sally causes catastrophic flooding in the U.S. Gulf Coast. Good afternoon. I'm Camina Constantino. Dateline Philippines begins right now. Welcome to the program. A scandal hit PhilHealth in danger of getting abolished, according to Senate President Vicente Soto III. President Duterte talked about abolishing or privatizing the state-run insurer during a meeting with congressional leaders on Wednesday. But Soto advised the president to wait a few months to see how the agency reforms under a new leadership. Duterte had approved the findings of a task force recommending the filing of cases against several PhilHealth officials, including former President Ricardo Morales for alleged massive corruption. Meanwhile, Senator Soto says Duterte also agreed to his proposal to amend the Universal Health Care Act, where the ex-officio chair of the PhilHealth board will be handed to the finance secretary instead of the health secretary. Also discussed, possible amendments to the anti-red tape law and imposing harsher penalties to violators. What was off the table? The House speakership issue. House Speaker Alan Peter Cayetano had promised to step down from the post to give way to Marinduque Congressman Lord Alan Velasco under a term-sharing deal in 2019. A former Philippine senator says the Ombudsman's memorandum restricting access to the statement of assets, liabilities and net worth of public officials is unconstitutional. Former Senator Joey Lina says the public has the right to these records. He adds the memorandum can be taken to court to determine whether or not it violates the law. This is based on the time-honored principle that public office is a public uh, trust. Mm. And the people have the right uh, to know. And this is clearly spelled out also in uh, Republic Act 6713. And uh, why... why uh, why, why restrict access uh, when, when the law is very clear? Uh, any memorandum, administrative order, uh, or even executive order of, of the office of the president cannot uh, take precedence over, over the laws which are passed by Congress. Due to future limited supplies of the COVID-19 vaccine, life as we knew it prior to this pandemic isn't seen to return until 2022. That's according to the World Health Organization's chief scientist who says the WHO's COVAX initiative, the resource pooling mechanism that provides equitable vaccine access to countries, will only be able to garner around hundreds of millions of doses by the middle of next year. The WHO adds that number is too small to affect behavioral changes. So social distancing and the use of masks will continue to be the norm until production reaches the goal of 2 billion doses 
possibly by the end of 2021. Countries like China and the U.S., however, remain aggressive in their timelines for a vaccine. That's why the WHO will issue guidelines on the emergency use of vaccines next week to ensure the safety and efficacy of the drugs being developed around the world. U.S. President Donald Trump insists the U.S. could be ready to start distributing a COVID-19 vaccine by next month. Trump says the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention was mistaken when he told lawmakers a vaccine would not be broadly available until next year. I think he made a mistake when he said that. It's just incorrect information. And I called him. And he didn't tell me that. And I think he got the message maybe confused. Maybe it was stated incorrectly. No, we're ready to go immediately as the vaccine is announced. And it could be announced in October, could be announced a little bit after October. But uh, once we go, we're ready. America's leading infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has said it is unlikely the U.S. will have a safe and effective vaccine by October. Other experts and scientists have also said they're concerned the White House may be pressuring the Food and Drug Administration to approve a vaccine before it's been adequately tested. The illnesses that prompted AstraZeneca to temporarily halt its COVID-19 vaccine trial may not have been due to its drug or to its candidate drug. That's according to a document posted online by the Oxford University, which is co-developing the vaccine with a British drug maker. Enrollment in AstraZeneca's global vaccine trials was paused last September 6, after a participant in the UK experienced a serious side effect thought to be a rare spinal inflammatory disorder. Safety reviews were conducted immediately after other volunteers developed unexplained neurological symptoms, including limb weaknesses or limb weakness. Researchers conclude the illnesses were either unlikely to be associated with a vaccine or there is insufficient evidence to link them to the vaccine. The vaccine trials have resumed in Britain, Brazil and in South Africa. There are now over 29.7 million COVID-19 cases worldwide, with more than 939,000 deaths. Over 20 million people have recovered from the disease. The biggest business groups here in the Philippines back the so-called Seven Commandments for opening up the public transport sector. The Seven Commandments include requiring masks and face shields for passengers. It also calls for frequent and proper disinfection of public vehicles and transport terminals. The measures were proposed by a panel of experts led by former Health Secretary Manuel Dairit, who headed the DOH during the SARS outbreak in 2002. Dairit says following these measures can resolve the debate over whether to ease the one-meter physical distancing policy on public transport. It is possible to go below one meter. Mm -mm. It is not dogma. But we have to look at the, all of the packages in the Seven Commandments for its proper implementation. This is a package, Mr. President. It's yeah. not just the one-meter social distancing, which is at issue here. Mm -mm. We have to implement the total package. Mm -mm. And if we do that, we will have great potential to reduce physical distancing. and follow your policy of wanting to open up the economy. Meanwhile, Malakanyang says the one-meter policy for public transport will be observed until the president decides on the matter.
Philippine Air Force identifies its four personnel who died in Wednesday's helicopter crash in Basilan. Queenie Casimiro is on the line now with details. Queenie, go ahead. Yes, Carmina, departure honors are being prepared at the Edwin Andrews Air Base here in Zamboanga City for the four airmen who perished in yesterday's helicopter crash in Lantawan, Basilan. Major Al Nasser Abdurrahman, Wing PIO, says the remains of the soldiers are, soldiers are still at the funeral parlor. Three of the victims are from Luzon, while one is a native of Naga, Zamboanga, Sibugay. This morning, a nine-man investigating team from the Philippine Air Force, together with the commander of the 505 Search and Rescue, Colonel Jose Bonifacio Calum, arrived in Zamboanga City and are expected to visit the crash site. Major Abdurrahman says initial investigation reveals that uh, communication with the helicopter was lost just right after it left Zamboanga City and route to Holov to pick up a patient. Local officials in Upper Mangas, Lantawan, also told us that they saw the helicopter as it was trying to do an emergency landing in Upper Mangas Covered Court. But since there were many residences in the area, the chopper flew up again. Upper Mangas Barangay Chief Jamar Martinez Abubakar says they saw smoke coming out of the engine before the tail was allegedly separated from the chopper's main body. Then the chopper then fell on the ground. The Air Force says all this will be verified by the investigating team to, to, to determine the cause of the accident. For ANC, Kutnika Sinero, ABS-CBN. Thanks a lot, Queenie. Keep safe. Moving on, Hurricane Sally slams into the U.S.'s Gulf Coast and causes catastrophic flooding as it unleashed up to 30 inches of rain in Florida. Alabama and Mississippi. This comes just about 12 hours after it made landfall near Gulf Shores in Alabama Wednesday morning. Hundreds of people were rescued from flooded neighborhoods, while more than half a million residents lost their electricity. Sally has since weakened into a tropical storm, but the threat of floods remains as the slow-moving storm moves into Georgia and the Carolinas. Newly elected Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga holds his first cabinet meeting as Japan's leader. Suga selected a mix of new, former and current ministers in a lineup that suggests a continuation of Abe Shinzo's influence. In key posts, Suga kept Taro Aso as finance minister and Toshimitsu Motegi as Japan's top diplomat. Suga also named Nobuo Kishi, Abe's younger brother, as the Minister of Defense. As for the number of women in the cabinet, it declined from three to two, with critics saying Suga and the ruling Liberal Democratic Party are not really committed to gender equality. Suga succeeded Abe, who resigned last month due to health problems. A bold promise from the U.S. Federal Reserve, America's central bank vows to keep benchmark interest rates near zero until at least 2023. This means it will tolerate periods of higher inflation as they try to revive the U.S. labor market and economy amid the coronavirus pandemic. The changes we made in today's policy statement reflect our strategy to achieve our dual mandate goals by seeking to eliminate shortfalls for maximum employment and achieve inflation that averages 2% over time. In addition, <clears throat> over coming months, we will continue to increase our holdings of Treasury securities and agency mortgage-backed securities, at least at the current pace. These asset purchases are intended to sustain smooth market functioning and help foster accommodative financial conditions, thereby supporting the flow of credit to households and businesses.
The move marks a significant monetary policy shift from the Fed, which had previously ignored the inflation shortfall. It announced the shift last month as the U.S. economy continues to suffer from the health crisis. It is the worst-hit country in the world with over 6.6 million COVID-19 cases. Powell, though, leaves a bright spot, saying the U.S. economy had picked up, but the road to recovery remains tough. With the reopening of many businesses and factories and fewer people withdrawing from social interactions, household spending looks to have recovered about three-quarters of its earlier decline. Nonetheless, spending on services that typically require people to gather closely, including travel and hospitality, is still quite weak. Job losses at banks this year are on course to be the deepest in half a decade. Citigroup will reportedly resume layoffs this week after taking a pause during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's in a bid to cut costs ahead of what's expected to be a rising wave of loan losses and risk-related reprimand. City says the cuts will affect less than 1% of its global workforce and will likely be offset by recent hiring of four or for other positions throughout the company. Nomura Holdings also slashing about half a dozen investment banking jobs in its Dubai office. Japan's biggest brokerage plans to shrink its Middle East footprint and move its coverage of the region in cities where it has bigger operations. City and Nomura joined the ranks of international banks like HSBC and Deutsche Bank that have reduced their workforces during the coronavirus crisis. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, meanwhile says the global economy is not doing as bad as previously expected. The Paris-based group raised its global economic forecast this year, now seeing a smaller contraction for the global economy at 4.5 percent. That's up from its previous forecast of negative 6 percent. It cites better-than-expected outlooks in China and the U.S. and efforts by governments to counter the economic fallout from the coronavirus pandemic. But the group says building confidence and maintaining fiscal support are crucial to sustaining global economic recovery. Everything needs to be done to strengthen confidence. That's really, really key to the recovery um, and to make it faster and, and larger. Uh, and strengthening confidence, I think, has two elements. The first one is to give a clear direction of travel. And the second one is to really help people and firms to actually move forward. And for that, we know that we cannot withdraw fiscal support too early. We will need support for people to find jobs, to change jobs, for those who are in unemployment. We will need support to help firms restructure. We will need support for investment. The country's riches saw their collective wealth fall by 22 percent, or around $60 billion this year due to the pandemic. According to Forbes, the C siblings, children of the late tycoon Henry C, took the biggest hit. They lost $3.3 billion but remain at the number one spot of the richest people in the Philippines with $13.9 billion. Also keeping his spot at number two, property tycoon Manny Villar, who lost $1.6 billion. Enrique Razon of Port Giant ICTSI is now the country's third richest, despite, a, or despite suffering a decline in his net worth. 
the Gokongwe siblings, the Ayalas, Andrew Tan, Lucia Tan, Ramon Ang, Tony Tan Kak Tiong, and Lu Shou, and Susan Ko round up the 2020 Forbes Philippines Rich List. And that's today's edition of Dateline Philippines. Thanks for joining us. I'm Carmina Constantino. You can watch highlights, recaps, and exclusive content of our shows online. Subscribe to the ANC YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Stay safe, everyone. I see stay with us here on the news channel.